And let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, please, Matthew 7. You'll find that on page 1505 in that book rack Bible in front of you. Maybe you have an iPad or a smartphone, open it up, get it, get your eyes on scripture this morning as we look into this amazing text. Well, it's hard to believe we're coming near to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the book of Matthew since December, and we started the Sermon on the Mount, believe it or not, in early February, and here we are now in the middle of June, and we're just coming up to the, to the end. Uh, if you're a preacher, you'd say something like, Jesus is about to land the plane, okay? In the Sermon on the Mount, he's bringing it in. He's, he's coming to a conclusion, and the text we're looking at today is really a big part of that conclusion. And seen in its context, I think you're going to see some things today differently than the way you normally would look at this passage. For many of us, the passage we're about to look at seems to be just about prayer. I'm going to suggest to you that it is all about prayer, but the focus is different than what you might think. So with that in mind, let's read the text and see what it has to say to us. Matthew 7, verse 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. All right, now, that's a text that many of us are familiar with. I think we've heard it, we've maybe said it before, and we believe it. And that last little verse there doesn't seem to fit in the context, and that's why this is really what I feel or it seems like it doesn't fit in the context, but actually when you look at this text as a conclusion or nearing the conclusion before the invitation of the sermon, which is what Jesus will get into next week as we follow in this text, uh, there's a lot to be said here for about how all of this in the Sermon on the Mount comes together. And I want to show you four things from our text this morning that I think will help us understand what Jesus is saying to us. And the first thing I want you to see, Jesus wants us to see an invitation here. He wants us to see an invitation. And in fact, how important this invitation really is. Now, the context of this comes out of, as I said, the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought it would just take, it would be important for us just to go back and just go back to chapter 5, which is just a page in your Bible. And let's just remember where we've been, okay? Chapter 5, beginning the first 12 verses or so, the unique character of the believer in Christ. How blessed we are and that we are so different from those in the world. We are poor in spirit. We are, we are those that mourn over our sin. We are meek and gentle. We, are, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, so on and so forth. In fact, we are the salt and the light of the earth. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, Jesus tells us in chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And then he goes into uh, uh, many expressions of how different we are from the religious people of the world. The standard of God is great. It's high. In fact, it's so much so that he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven, verse 20. And then it's not about not murdering people. It's about not hating people. It's not about not committing adultery. It's, it's about not 
committing uh, sin with our eyes. It's not about just not divorcing, but being faithful and being committed in, in a marriage relationship. It's not about just uh, saying you're going to do something, but actually doing something. It's, it's not about uh, just making sure that you uh, bring retribution on the people that have done you wrong, but staying away from a spirit of retribution, staying away from a spirit of retaliation. In fact, that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We come to chapter 6, Jesus tells us that the subjects of the kingdom are people who give to the needy. They pray. Uh, They pray earnestly. They come to God in a spirit of earnest prayer. And Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in that section. And then we also learned in that section that we deny ourselves. We learned the importance of fasting and saying no to our bodies. We come to the end or the middle of chapter 6 and we see that we're not to store up treasures on earth, that that we as as subjects of the kingdom are to be involved in in investing in the kingdom work and that we are reminded that we can't serve two masters. We'll either love the one and hate or hate the other one and then we're not to worry and and on and on it goes and then we come last week to chapter seven about judging properly, not to judge with sort of a, a critical spirit in our hearts and so right about now, if you've been walking this journey through the Sermon on the Mount, if not now, maybe weeks ago, maybe day one of the Sermon on the Mount, you're saying, this is impossible. I mean, seriously. I mean, how do we live the Christian life? How is this possible? I feel like I fail miserably every single week in in sort of living up to what the Scripture is telling me. Am I the only one there in that? I mean, we're constantly falling down. We're constantly seeing the, the, the depth of our hearts being so different from where we need to be, and yet we know the grace of God. We know that we're not saved by our works. We know that God saves us, and he perfects his work in us, and all of these things are true, but yet we still realize that we here's the goal, but we fall short of that goal. We're constantly striving, but we never seem to arrive, and if you're a thinking, a responsible, Christ-loving individual this morning, uh, that eats away at you sometimes, doesn't it? It's just not quite right. There's something not right in my world, something not right in my life, and I, and I want to make this right, and Lord, help me, and I just struggle in this, and we are all in that struggle, and so Jesus says, he says, here's the antidote for all of this. If you feel overwhelmed this morning with the demands of life and our discipleship in following Jesus, he says, you need to commit that to a constant posture of prayer. I want you to write down in your notes this morning that when the demands of life and our discipleship seem overwhelming, Jesus says we must pray. This is really the key to the whole thing. I mean, as we're concluding the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, look, if you feel like you're not measuring up, which you will feel that way oftentimes in your daily life, the the focus needs to be prayer. And specifically, specifically, we must pray persistently. Say the word persistently. This is actually more than an invitation. It's actually a command because the verbs in this text, the verbs of, of asking, seeking, and, and knocking are all in the present imperative, which means this is a command. This is describing a, a life of ongoing 
asking, ongoing seeking, ongoing knocking, and and this is so beautiful because it sort of answers for us really the posture of our lives as believers in Christ. While in this world we're never fully attaining, we're never going to arrive at the destination of where we think we ought to be, Jesus says, here's the posture we need to take. We need to keep asking. We need to ask and keep on asking. We need to seek and keep on seeking. We need to knock and we need to keep on knocking. And that's a picture of prayer, but it's more than that. It's a, it's a picture of, of what, the, what the Puritans called praying with importunity. It's praying with persistence. It's knowing that in the Christian life, there's a lag between what we know we ought to be and actually getting there. There's this, there's this space between us always, and we never arrive, and, and that can frustrate us like crazy, but Jesus says, listen, don't be frustrated. Just stay in a posture of asking and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And this is so powerful. It's so beautiful to me because in all of our lives and in my life, I know there's a spiritual disequilibrium. I never feel like I've, I've gotten where I need to be. And if you're this morning sitting here feeling frustrated like something's missing in your Christian life, I want you to listen very carefully. This is so important. Because some of us, when we get to those points of feeling like, I'm never going to make it, I just, I look around and I see people that it looks like they've made it. And that's not true either. We just haven't walked in their shoes, Right? But because we think that other people are further ahead than us, and we always see this gap in our own lives, watch this, many of us drop out in our Christian zealousness, our desire to serve God, our desire to love God, our desire to follow God. We just give up. I meet people like this all the time. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I just, I just, they're just washed out. They believe, but they're not serving. They believe, but they're not loving. They believe, but they're not continuing to storm the gates of heaven. This really hit me this week as I was thinking about my own life and thinking about this text. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing super profound in this except for this one point, which I think is incredibly profound. Jesus is saying, look, if you feel like you're not measuring up, if you feel like there's a gap between what I've told you to do and the, and the way you're living your life, the way you answer all of that is not by assuming you've arrived, but stay in a posture of prayer. Continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to knock at the door. And that's where God wants us to be. And that's really the posture of the Christian life. That we not give up. That we not turn prayer into pragmatism. And this is the problem in our American culture. This is the problem in the modern church. We've turned prayer into a pragmatic exercise. And what I mean by that is we we look at prayer as like this. I ask for this and then this is going to happen. And so I ask and it doesn't happen. And then I ask again and it doesn't happen. And I'm, I'm a little frustrated. I ask again and it doesn't happen. I say, I guess prayer doesn't work. And so I stop asking. And Jesus says, whether you see me work, whether you see the thing that you're asking for happen, you keep on asking. You ask and keep ask asking. You seek and you keep seeking. You knock and you keep knocking. This is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to experience this this posture of always leaning in, always looking for what God is going to do. Some people have made a lot out of the three verbs, ask, seek, and knock, like they're big differences. I think this is a restatement, basically, of the same thing. Jesus is just showing us over and over that the posture of the Christian life is leaning in, looking for, asking, seeking. I mean, if we were going to make some distinction, we could say asking is certainly just the the ask. We have people ask of us things. We ask of God things. 
Seeking, we could probably look at that as a picture of sincerity. You know, you don't seek for something that you don't believe is going to happen in your life. There's a sincerity behind all this effort and all these things that we're moving in our Christian life. And then there's this knocking, there's this persistence, there's this perseverance that continues to come, continues to knock at the throne of God and saying, God, help me, show me, let me see what you're doing here. And this is where many of us today, I just, I have been praying, oh Lord, do this again in my own life and it's been somewhat liberating this week to just kind of sit in this text and think about it over the many things in my life that God has not yet answered prayer about. I mean, you got anything in your life that you just haven't seen the hand of God really move in yet or the way you would be asking for him to move? Is there anybody like that here this morning? Is there anybody that feels that way? Oh, I'm so grateful. Because there's stuff in my life, situations in my life, family members in my life, things in my life that I just ask and ask and ask and I feel like I'm always asking and yet it just dawned on me as I'm thinking and sitting in this text this week, God is saying, that's where I want you to be. I want you to be listening to me and attentive to me because if prayer is only a pragmatic exercise that you do it if God answers prayer and you stop doing it if he doesn't answer prayer, prayer, then you're going to be just like the millions of people out there that have a religious experience but really never engage in a daily moment-by-moment expectation of what God wants to do in our lives. We need to keep asking because it's in the continuing to ask that we begin to see God at work. You know, it's funny, we're in this drought. Have you noticed that? We're in this drought. Everywhere you go, you know, I'm driving down the freeway. We're up to Tahoe this weekend visiting our daughter and and on the freeway, the major signs are like, you know, remember, severe drought, limit your watering, you know, all this stuff. And my wife, I've learned a lot about prayer from my wife because we we get together every day, we pray, we read scripture every day. It's a beautiful part of our day. We just fit it in. It's not always at the same time, but we, we fit it in because we just believe it's important. And my wife, my dear wife, since the beginning of this year, I mean in January, she was praying for rain. And she continue, every time we pray, she prays for rain. And I have to admit, I'm a little confession, confession here. You know, like last week, I'm thinking, why are you praying? This is June. It's not going to rain. I'm just thinking, <laughs> and then, did you know what happened this week? <laughs> I wake up in the middle of the night, and it's pouring at my house. Just, what, Wednesday or whatever it was. And I come to work, and the first thought, my first thought was, God is answering my wife's prayer. It just kind of opened my eyes. Now, was God answering my wife's prayer in the fact that it rained? <sighs> well, certainly he was, because she'd been praying for that every day. But, but the reality is, God wants us to lean in no matter how he acts, no matter how he responds, because that's the posture he wants. He wants us to lean in. I've been leaning out on the area of rain. He wants us to lean in. Where there's a need. I was thinking of that this today, today, big game for the Warriors today, right? If you're a Warriors fan, which I am, I mean, this is big, okay? Game five, it's an amazing game. And you know, there are people, probably Warrior fans here that are praying for a Warriors win. <laughs> probably. And there are a bunch of folks back in Cleveland praying for a Cleveland win. Now, I, I think basically all that stuff's kind of ridiculous. I'm not praying for the Warriors to win. I hope the Warriors win. I'm not praying that they win. I'm praying that the glory of God be shown. For believers on both teams, and let's hope that the Warriors have that, but, the, the, <laughs> but that the believers have an opportunity to share, whether they're on the winning side or the losing side, the glory of God. 
I think it's kind of cool. When, you know, it's always neat when the, the winning team, the winning, the MVP, hey, how did you do it? What did you feel? Well, I want to give glory to God for giving me, you know, that's beautiful. I kind of like it better, though, when they stick the mic in the loser's face. <laughs> and the loser says, I just want to give glory to God that he's allowed me to be humbled in this situation. You know, I mean, that, you know, because it's easy to, I give praise to God when I made the shot, you know. But when it bricks and goes out, can we still give glory to God? And I think that this, I don't know. I feel like so many times we're praying for stuff that God really is not all that concerned about. But you know what he wants? He wants us to be leaning in all the time. Leaning into what really matters to him. So there's this invitation. And I, I want you to get this. As we come down to the end of this Sermon on the Mount, there's a, a powerful, an important invitation that we should not neglect. And that is the posture of our lives as believers is to lean in to God. Always lean in. Lord, I'm missing it. I'm not there. Lean in. God, help me. I don't know where to go with this. Lean in. Lean in. The prayer room out there, we talk about it. So many of us, we walk right by. It's a picture of our lives. That prayer room is a picture of Christendom. How we just ignore prayer and we go out and we do our thing. And I'm not, that's not a shame comment. It's just many of us are not really embracing an amazing means that God gives to us. You know, if you think the Christian life is impossible, you're right, number one. And right here, Jesus is giving us the means how the impossible becomes possible. It's in prayer. There's not only an invitation here, but there's also an amazing motivation. Verse, verses seven and eight. Now, look back at the text again. Um, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, that may sound a little bit uh, uh, opposite of what I've just said a moment ago, because God does not always answer prayer in the way that, that we're asking, but I do believe this is a beautiful thing. If you're taking notes, when we pray with persistence, we can be assured that God is going to provide. Be assured of God's gracious provision. And what I mean by that is not always just exactly the way we're asking. How many of you have found that out? But God does answer prayer. God does bring provision to us. And I love the fact the word everyone, in your own Bible, if you have your own Bible there, if you have the ability to underline that, you should underline the word everyone. For everyone who asks I mean, aren't you glad that God doesn't say for the super spiritual or for those who hold Bible degrees or, or for the longstanding members of their church or if you're an elder or a pastor or if you're a person who serves in the church? No, everyone, that is every believer who realizes his or her need for God's grace in an area of life that isn't clear or coming together, that person, those people, every last one of them will be met by God in his perfect timing. And keep in mind that in those promises that we just read there, it will, it will, it will, and for everyone, there's no mention of when it happens. <laughs> and I need that reminder all the time. I mean, God is sovereign. This means that he has a timetable including, uh, that includes working out things in a way that only display his glory and power and his purposes to be accomplished. And so if, if this is so important, if we only look at prayer as a pragmatic activity whereby we can somehow move the heart of God for the things that we want, 
we have really missed the whole picture of what Jesus has said throughout this sermon and what, what prayer really is about. Because prayer is not about somehow making God do what we want. Prayer is getting us on the same page with what God wants. And the longer you pray on a topic that doesn't appear to be answered the way you would like it to be answered or there's no answer, maybe that's a little clue that God is going to be doing something a little different in terms of what we're asking for. Uh, and, and so if you're taking notes somewhere in your outline, I'd just like you to write down, it's not about me. Just write that little statement down. It's not about me. And I need that reminder all the time. When it comes to prayer, it's not about me. It's never about me. You'll save yourself a lot of confusion in your Christian life when you come to terms with this reality. Otherwise, we turn into narcissistic Christians who are easily disappointed in the apparent lack of God's responsiveness to all the things that we want. I mean, we become narcissists that say, God, you're not answering prayer here because I've asked for this a hundred thousand times. And you maybe be asking for something that you could justify in Scripture. You may be asking for the salvation of somebody that you love. You may be asking for breakthrough with somebody that's got an addiction issue. I mean, let's face it. There are things that we, we wouldn't fuss much with in terms of saying that it's a credible, God-honoring, glorifying request, and yet it just seems to be dormant. It seems to be flat. There's nothing going on. And, and when I come to those places in my life where I feel that way, which we all have at times, I remember and I am reminded that God is a sovereign God and his ways are not my ways and his plans are not always my plans. And he's doing things that have intricate, you know, uh, tentacles that eclipse my little world. And God wants us to remember that, that prayer fundamentally, is getting on the page with God. And the, and the beautiful motivation that he, that he tells us here is that he will act, he will respond. You conti- you in a, you're in a posture of continuing to ask, continuing seeking, and continuing knocking. That's gonna happen. You're gonna see results. You're gonna see God do a work in your life. Praise God. Maybe what Jesus was saying here is reflected in the words of James inspired by the Holy Spirit, where he wrote in James 4, we'll put it on the screen, you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Or when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I think these are people who are praying while thinking it is all about them. So God may purposefully delay something in our lives from receiving or finding or a door opening, number one, because we're not ready, number two, because that person is not ready, number three, because God has a bigger purpose whereby he's going to show us something else, and it is a mystery. I give you no uh, other statement than to say that sometimes the things that we're asking for, there seems to be an undue delay in what God is going to do. And, and all I take comfort in, in experiencing that reality, is looking at this text and knowing that God not only invites me, but he promises that he is going to do a work. 
So think about it. Think about that issue. Every one of us have issues right now in our lives that we know, we feel right now that God has just sort of gone silent on us. And, and maybe he brought you to this sermon this morning, this text this morning, as a reminder that the big picture, the most profound issue in your life is simply not to give up, but to stay in there, to persevere, to lean in. Why? Because he invites us to. Number two, because he motivates us by promising. And three, he gives us this powerful illustration. This powerful illustration, verses 9 through 11. So Jesus helps us understand the character of God by illustrating the role of parents. Specifically, how parents do all they can to meet the needs and requests of their kids. And he points out that even unbelievers do this. And in fact, believers who know in their hearts that apart from the grace of Christ, we also are evil. And he, and he reminds us that even though we are evil, we, we have this intuitive thing in our hearts to bless our kids. How many are parents here today? You got parents. Okay. Parents are here. And you think about your kids. Now, kids can sometimes drive you a little crazy. Um, they they kind of go left when you want them to go right. There's all kinds of stuff. But... Everyone that just raised their hand, and if you're a kid sitting here today and your parents are in this right now listening or whatever, I want to tell you something about your parents. They struggle. They don't always do it the way you want it to be done, but the one thing about parents is they want the best for their kids. And they're going to try to do everything they can in their weakness, in their humanness, in their sinfulness. They're going to do everything they can to, to, to show that they love and care for the desires, even the desires of their kids. And frankly, a lot of us have done too much for our kids. You know, we, we overdo, we, we spoil, we give them a sense of entitlement, we, we ruin discipline by just giving, 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 giving too much. But that's because as sinners, we as evil people know what it's like to want to give to our kids. Here's the point I want you to see. When we think about the way we like to give to our kids, we realize God is far more eager and willing to give us what we need. That's the beautiful thing. I mean, God is way more willing and eager. It's hard to believe. Take your Bibles and let's go over to the book of Luke real quickly. Luke chapter 18. I want to show you this. this you maybe have never seen this before. Uh, it's a beautiful little parable, which you've probably seen, but I want to give you the, the intro to the parable to kind of hammer home the point of where we are at right now. On one occasion, Jesus told his disciples, this is Luke 18, 1, told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always, what? Pray and what? And not give up. This is Matthew 7. Lean in, posture of prayer, no matter what happens. And so here's the parable. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God or cared about men. Sounds like a really nice guy. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, or including this person, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out in her coming. Now, some, I've heard some people preach on this, that this is proof that God wants us to persist in prayer because eventually if we ask enough, we will wear God out. <laughs> that is a terrible theology of prayer. They haven't looked at verses six and seven. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. 
And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There's a little something there about the fact that there's a progression of time. Jesus is saying, in the end, when Jesus comes, this is going to be a world where not too many have true faith in God. He ties that to the idea of prayer. And that hits me that that's this idea of are we in this posture of leaning in, asking, seeking, knocking. This is our posture. This is a picture of Christian perseverance. This is the grace of the Holy Spirit on every one of us who are the redeemed elect of God. That he gives us this desire to continue to lean in, continue to lean in. And so examine your hearts this morning, beloved. If there's, if there's a spirit of narcissism, if there's a spirit of pragmatism in your life, perhaps the world has sown the seed of deception in your heart to, to woo you away from the beautiful promise that God does and will bring justice to his elect. And he will do so quickly. Trust him. Trust him. Oh, I hear the Holy Spirit saying to me, Larry, this is for you too all kinds of things in our lives that we cry out to God for, that we keep asking God for. And I have a feeling it probably gets worse before it gets better. But I'm going to go on record saying, and you pray for me, I want to stay in there. I want to lean in. I want to not stop asking. I want to not stop uh, seeking. I want to not stop knocking because this is what Christ has commanded me to do. God's provision always focuses on, by the way, look at this. God's provision always focuses on what's good for us, not necessarily what we want. Notice Jesus says, good gifts. He, God is a God that gives good gifts. Not a carte blanche offer for our wants and whims, as many people look at prayer. Well, Pastor Larry, I know if you pray for this, it'll happen, because I know you're really close to God. I need this new job, or whatever, that's a bad theology of prayer. You don't have to go to anybody special that has a closer inroad with God. That's not me and that's not anybody. We all have the same access because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, ask anything in my name and I will do it. And so we come as individuals to this amazing sovereign God in the name of Jesus who has given us eternal life. And he says, come. And I've not invited you to come to ask so that you just get what you want, but so that you remain in a posture of looking to me and, and listening for and catching every nuance of where I'm going to go so that when you hear my voice, you will follow me. You will follow me. Follow me in tough times. Follow me when it looks like the light has gone out. Follow me when my world is falling apart. Follow me. That's what we need to do. So there's this beautiful uh, beautiful invitation. There's this amazing motivation. There's this powerful illustration. And lastly, quickly, there's this necessary summation. And this is where we come to verse 12, which doesn't seem to fit the context. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. By the way, just look at that really carefully. That says, do to others what you would have them do to you, not do to others before they do to you. Okay. Like some people quote this. What Jesus is saying is, look, we're coming to the end of the sermon, end of the Sermon on the Mount, and this sermon. 
And he says, look, if, if there's anything that you want to remember out of this sermon, which I love this about Jesus, I feel like this as a pastor. You want to remember something out of this service sermon? What Jesus says, read the whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you want to remember something? Go out, if you forget everything else, just treat other people the way you would like to be treated. And you'll be, you'll be doing fine. It's so simple. In every conversation, in every situation, how would you like to be treated? Jesus said, this fulfills the law and the prophets. This is right up there with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Just think about others. Think about others. A lot of people that are religious out there that are, don't have a reputation of thinking about others. <laughs> and that should be turned around. And, and I love the fact it doesn't really fit into this picture of prayer but it, it should anchor us to the reality that as we're leaning in, we're saying, am I treating people the way I like to be treated? All right. Well, next week, we get the invitation from the Sermon of the, on the Mount. You might want to think about people that you've been cultivating with, inviting, invite them, because they're going to hear the invitation of Jesus Christ next week to give their lives to him and follow him, to be very careful to listen to his voice and not the world. All right. So, you got it? Lean in. Let's pray.